Under a Red Glow is an everything photography podcast covering the entire range of photography from chemical, darkroom, and alternative-based processes all the way to modern digital photography and beyond. Be sure to visit us at www.underredglow.com. And now your host, John Milliker Jr. Hello and thank you for joining us for episode 106 of the Under a Red Glow podcast. My name is John Milliker. I'm a full-time photographer who practices, teaches, and demonstrates nearly every photographic process in history, including modern digital gear techniques. And with me in studio is my co-host and lovely wife, Christine. She practices and demonstrates many processes as well and is our entry-level process and kids' class instructor. Welcome, Christine. Good evening. What's going on besides a late podcast? <laughs> I was going to say, we're running a little bit late. Totally not a beer. <laughs> but here we are, and we're going to get this out as soon as we can. We took We took a big vacation. Instead of like a weekend, we thought, let's leave a little bit early. Let's visit. Uh, Christine has never been to the George Eastman House, George Eastman Museum. And we decided, let's go up a few extra days early. Let's go to Rochester and visit the George Eastman Museum in Rochester, New York. We're going to talk a little bit about that. I had some time with the Insta 360 one, one inch. 360, I can't remember what the this, this stupid name was, but it was a crazy name. Had time with that, started messing around with with Google Street View, talk a little bit about that as well after a word from our sponsor. All right, that was quick. That was, a, that was the quickest we've ever gotten into the sponsored segment. We had a we had a nice trip, unfortunately, and, and my apologies for getting a, a podcast out so late. We went early to Rochester. We brought the the microphones, the DJI microphone, wireless microphone thingies, and it's just been a whirlwind weekend. We uh, we arrived back home late last night, and it was just such a good trip. It was a really good trip. We had good weather most of the time. Down here when it's mid-90s in Maryland and humid and storming there's nasty thunderstorms all around you may hear thunder in the background every once in a while hopefully we don't lose power but we went up to rochester new york went to the george eastman house found food yeah it's it it was it was a week ago yes we left we left 8 days ago and i can't remember hardly anything 9 days ago now 9 days ago now i have no idea <laughs> Christine has never been to the George Eastman house. I have. And that's something that's been on her list for the longest time. And I was really glad to be able to share that with her. Uh, it was a little bit different. We'll talk a little bit about that. And then then what did we do? We went from Rochester, New York, down to central, central New York on the Finger Lakes. And we went to the Wet Plate Jamboree. That's an episode in itself. We'll probably talk about that next next week. And then we stayed in a, in a little town called Ithaca, the college town, Ithaca, New York. We found a great hiking trail down, out to a lighthouse. And it wasn't so far that we couldn't take our chairs with us. And we just sat down and just enjoyed. The weather was amazing. A little bit of a breeze. What, like low 80s? Low 80s, minimal humidity. I don't think it was that bad, or at least it didn't bother me as much as it does here. It was the absolute perfect weather. And the clouds were beautiful. Sun was in and out. 
it we sat in the shade of the lighthouse and it was just a really nice time it was it was a lot of fun Rochester, though, I, I had gone to the George Eastman Museum. Uh, I think they changed it to the George Eastman Museum. I used to know it as George Eastman House Museum because that was the house he he had built, and uh, in Rochester when he was, you know, creating. You know, we know we know who George Eastman is, and if you don't, uh, George Eastman came up with the name Kodak for the Kodak Company. Such a good place, you know. George Eastman, uh, we talk about him a little bit. Uh, I think we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast. We talk about him a lot when we're when we're giving demonstrations on the history of photography. And George Eastman, you know, it's amazing how things happen in our lives that that turn out for the best. You know, bad things. George Eastman worked at the Rochester Savings Bank and he was passed up for a promotion. Well, he was in his in his spare time, he did not like wet plate collodion photography he thought it was he thought it was uh, a lot of work for a little bit of reward i don't necessarily know that he that he was bad at it but he decided that that the complexity wasn't for him and being such a smart guy i know he could have he could have easily figured wet plate out i mean after all christine and i figure wet plate out <laughs> but he he had learned about a gelatin dry plate process. And he worked in his mother's kitchen as he worked at the Rochester Savings Bank. And he experimented with gelatin plates, sometimes working a full day at the bank, coming home, baking plates in mom's kitchen oven, and sometimes falling asleep on the kitchen floor and just to wake up the next day and do it all over again. Yeah. When George was passed up for a, a well-deserved promotion at the Rochester Savings Bank, he said, you know what? This isn't for me. And he decided to go on and keep experimenting with dry plates, go on and create the Kodak company, and unfortunately met his demise when he started having the problems that his mother had. And that's tough. Yeah, that's that's really tough. It's it's a it's a it's a sad end to uh, the story of George Eastman. He built this beautiful house and I, I can't recommend visiting. You know, what is this? It's 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 one of the the few kind of photographer holy lands. And they encourage photography there. You just can't use a flash. Right. They this place is beautifully kept it's amazing people are very nice uh you know when i had gone before the thing the thing i was fortunate enough to have a in-person tour guide that took you through the house and museum took you through the house and and you start off going down a hallway and you end up in the dining room and the dining, I mean, everything is so perfect. And and most of the furniture is the furniture that was there in the house. Everything else, they had put the money into finding similar furniture, similar manufacturer, similar style, right? Yeah. You start off in the kitchen. Excuse me, you start off in the dining room. Dining room. And the dining room is just immaculate. And when we went last week, 
there is an audio tour. You scan a little QR code dealio on the wall, and then you can say what stop you're at. And I got to say, the audio tour is very nice. It it lost a lot of the uh, the personal aspect of having a guide there. And I really hope that the George Eastman Museum, um, you know, goes back into having live tour guides. They 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 require allegedly they require masks in the Dryden Dryden Theater. There's a theater there that plays a lot of old movies and they play a lot of kind of you know contemporary and, and modern stuff. And nothing there kind of sparked our interest, so that we did not need to go there. <clears throat> when you get to the George Eastman House. They still have that masks are encouraged for all museum visitors. And it's kind of a weird thing. Up, up in New York, we found heading up to Rochester, there were still restaurants that were that were only, well, fast food restaurants that were only drive through Now, you know, there could be an argument there for is, it, is, is COVID still a, excuse me, is the thing still a problem for them up there or... It makes me think, are some of these fast food food restaurants and maybe other restaurants, are they, you know, kinda kinda leaning on the thing when there's obviously an employee shortage in the in the United States? It's it's hard getting people to to fill these job positions. So it was really odd. Uh, when we got to the George Eastman Museum, we we were ready to, you know, if we needed a mask, we had masks in the car. But I kind of when I see a sign like that, I kind of see people going in and going out. What are other people doing? And several people went in, several people went out, no mask whatsoever. And I'm like, okay, well, let me go inside. And when I saw that the, that the, the, um, I guess the, the ticket takers, when you, when you purchase your ticket to get into the, the museum, they weren't wearing masks. And you know, that kind of seals the deal for me. Uh, it's still, it's still kind of weird. You know, you, you're recommending masks for museum visitors, but the people that are interacting within two feet of you, selling you a ticket, giving you a ticket, taking your money, they're not masking. Uh, you know, it, something's got to give, one, one way or the other. Again, I've always said I have no problem with people masking because people have their own reasons. I don't know why this person here is wearing a mask. Right. Uh, maybe they're sick. Maybe they go home to an elderly spouse or an elderly parent. I have no problem with that. But at what point do we go to the at what point do we go to the the current thing being mask if you want to, or or at by now, why do we need to even tell people that masking is okay? I mean, you it, no one looks at you too too with. Uh, weirdly, if you wear a mask. Well, I've seen some people. I've seen people on both sides kind of give the other side a hard time. Well, you, you know, the, the joke the joke is, um, oh, what's the joke I've heard? Oh, well, people wearing masks by themselves in the car. Okay, so what? Maybe they just came from an elderly parent's house and they forgot to take it off. Maybe they, you know... Maybe they're sick and the car is going and somebody else is using it. I don't care. We Let's not make fun of mask people. Let's take away the mask, encourage stuff, because everywhere I've gone that says, oh, well, if you're, you're not vaccinated or blah, 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 we recommend you wear a mask. And lately, you know, the vaccine seems to have 
disappeared from the the what if statements. So therefore, now it's masks are encouraged for everybody again for some reason. When do we take that out? And and we have the and, and if people want to wear a mask, they wear a mask. Or use, it's kind of a weird position. Or use common sense. If you're sick, wear a mask. If you're well, worried, ideally, if you're sick, don't go out. Right. Um, if you must and you are sick, wear a mask. Or if you're worried about an elderly parent or an elderly spouse or or a or immune uh, immunity immunity deficient spouse child whatever. Right. It's okay. We need to get out of the fact that. If people want to wear a mask, they want to wear a mask. That's fine. But when I go to places that say we highly encourage wearing a mask and nobody's wearing one, even the people that work there, I think it's time to take those signs down. People that want to wear a mask, don't give them a hard time. But people that don't have a mask on, don't give them a hard time. Right. It's kind of like, you know, the country wants to move on. They're ready to move on. But. In Japan, they do this. If somebody in Japan is not feeling well, they wear a mask. It's kind of a a, a personal, uh, you know, a personal liability kind of thing that if you're sick, don't get everybody else sick. But ideally, you know, back when I, you know, back when I worked a a a soul sucking IT career job, if I wasn't feeling good, I wouldn't go in and, and infect everybody. I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird position we're in. Yeah. So that's all I have to say about that. But anyway, we we go in, we pay our our money. What was it? Twenty dollars a person for adults. I think. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty sure that was it. And that's, and honestly, that's, that's nothing. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say, oh, that's a little high, but I mean, the the stuff that you get in here is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of interactive things. There are a lot of galleries. Well, we're going to talk a little and bit we'll about that. we'll get into that. We get into the, the dining room. Dining room is perfect. And part of the tour, and I remember this part of the tour back when back when I had a live tour guide. George Eastman has a safe built into the wall of the dining room for all his fine china and fine silver. Thought that was really cool. Yeah. Really, really cool. Uh, once you get from the the dining room to the, is it solarium? Is it a solarium? I guess the the main area. You, you you hear about, you know, you hear about some changes that that George had made to this area. It was originally what did they say a square, and then he wanted to bump the wall out a little bit. They told him it couldn't be done, and he did it anyway. <laughs> and I believe the the tour said that the the renovations to make this room six feet jut out six more feet cost more than the entire house. I mean, it was a major undertaking. In this solarium is a giant hanging elephant head, and I I know that that lately there's been a lot of pushback on uh, on big game hunting. I've I've heard. I've heard both sides of the story. I've heard that big game hunting and the people that pay the money to go out to these preserves and hunt, I heard that 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 money goes into really keeping a lot of these species alive, conservation, and even helping a lot of the local towns. I don't know if that's 100% true or not. Maybe somebody can let me know in the in the comments or send me an email. So I don't know. I'm not a hunter. Uh, but I have nothing wrong with it, especially if you're, you know, hunting for food 
we have a, a major deer population problem in a lot of the rural areas around here. I mean, I think we counted maybe 30 deer just just conniving on the side of the road, waiting for the, the perfect vehicle to jump on. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I have no problem with that. And a lot of, uh, I heard another thing about that a lot of local, um, I've heard, I don't know how they get it, but I heard, I heard a lot of the local deer hunting really helps the, um, the food pantries in the area because a lot of the deer meat will go to, you know, the, the underprivileged of the area. I mean, that's, that's pretty good deer meat. Yeah, it is really good. So I, 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 I would never hunt unless I needed to. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, I, I support hunters doing their thing and keeping the populations down and, and doing it right. Getting the licenses or tags or whatever they call them. I'm not entirely sure uh, about the big game hunting, but you got to realize George Eastman, this was back, you know, this was a long, long time ago. And, uh, and you can't, you know, it's, it's, you really can't sit there and, and fault people for doing something that today is now kind of frowned upon. So I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't throw any shade on George Eastman for having a giant elephant head. And it wasn't even the original elephant head. It was a, it was a reproduction. It was hanging, but at some point a giant elephant head was hanging there. Uh, one other thing you will see in that, in that solarium is a big pipe organ. I was going to say what stood out to me was the organ. It oh, beautiful, beautiful pipe organ. And I've never been there when they've had people playing it or any music. They had like a little boom box to the side that I guess that every once in a while they, they hit play on a cassette or something. But Eastman would hire someone to play from the moment he got up in the morning until even went to bed at night. He had a button. And that what he said, he had a button next to his bedroom in his bedroom, and that would signify to the 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 organist that he's getting ready to get up. And that he was, you know, gonna come down soon and want breakfast. And it was kind of a well oiled machine. Um eventually he had electro uh had parts put in so that it played itself right yes he had a wax uh, no he had a player i guess a player piano element on it and as we walked through the solarium to the the grand staircase there was a i, I don't know if it was original it didn't say it on the audio tour but there was a giant uh kind of player piano box and dozens of the player piano rolls which are big giant sheets of paper you know, they're, oh, I don't know, maybe maybe 18 inches, 15 inches. I think they're longer than a foot, and they're, uh, they're, they're wider than a foot, but I know they're very, very long because if you've never seen a player piano roll where you, you load a song into it and then play it, it's a roll that's got all these little punches out of it. And wherever there's a punch, it would, it would somehow actuate the, the player piano to play that note. So therefore, these pay, these rolls had to be really, really long, and and to to be able to play a song, right? And he would he would have that he would have a a mechanism that would turn that on from the from the bedroom, which I thought was really cool as well. Yeah, we uh, at the other side of the solarium, uh, George Eastman had an elevator put in for his mother. He he moved his mother into the house had an elevator put in there, very small elevator. And then there was a, there was a bathroom. But the cool thing about this was 
he was really smart. He had some he had some doors and some things around the house that were that were meant to kind of hide. And the bathroom door, if it was shut, it would look just like a piece of the paneling. Yeah. You would ver- you wouldn't you wouldn't know that there was a, a room there, which I thought was really cool. And even had had a sink, had even had two stalls in it looked like. Yeah, it looked like it. They had it roped off. I would have peed there, but oh well, maybe next time. <laughs> Hey, I'm a guy. I like being in interesting places now. <laughs> um, uh, once you get out of there, where? what was the next room? Was that the billiard room? There was the billiard room on the right. We went to the billiard room on the right. Beautiful, beautiful area. The stained glass windows were what stood out there to me. Well, it had regular windows, but they had these circular stained glass pieces. And there's in every, every window, there was one method of transportation. And, of course... You know, there was no, there was no airplane, you know, no airplane stained glass there. And he had a beautiful billiards table. And then he had a, kind of on the right-hand side, there was a platform built. And on that platform that people could stand or sit and they could see, they could watch the game that was, that was progressing. I thought that was really, really cool. After we came out of there, that was kind of his office across the hall, wasn't it? His library. His library. Well, no, that was the the small library. Where was the small library at? It was connected to the billiard room. You had to walk through it. Oh, that's right. Coming through the billiard room, you had this small little library. Very cozy, very comfy. Nice table. I mean, I would have loved to have sat there and just just looked. You know, pick pick some of the books off the shelf and, and just thumb through them. And the books that were there were, most of them are originals, and they know they were because he kept his library very efficiently, and he marked all his books as if it was a real library. Yeah, he was a very so, meti- very meticulous man, of course. And like, like categories were together, and it was really nice. Now, my books are, are sorted by shortest to tallest, but I'm not fancy enough to have <laughs> books, uh, library books, or, or a library of books that, like I have a a whole selection of the Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I don't know if it, all the books back then kind of were usually the same size. There were different sizes. But, but mostly it, they were pretty much the same size. Yeah. But there were like series of books that all went together and you could tell. Do you think George Eastman would have put them in alphabetical order or or height? Think alpha- they I'm were pretty by sure categories. it was yeah, alphabetical. And I even showed, uh, I even showed an old, uh, what looked like a Dewey Decimal card. Yeah, something like that. He he knew where everything was in that library. I'm That's sure. That's really cool. And it was a blue. Was it blue or was it like a? It was like an aqua colored wall, wasn't it? The books covered pretty much all the walls, but but around it, around it, I don't even remember. Yeah, it's it just the colors. The colors in this place are amazing. Absolutely amazing. We we walked out of that room into the the grand foyer, uh, where the where the where the, the the main staircase was, and of course we looked out the front door and and just uh, imagine you know visiting George Eastman back then and coming through that front door and just seeing just seeing what you saw was amazing. We then walked across the hall. Was that his? That was the. Was that the living room? The living room that was made more for his mother because it looked out on the gardens. No, that was her bedroom. 
Well, she had that upstairs too, right. but it was. This was mostly he had like a, a he had a giant like conference table in there. He had the giant uh, um, desk on the left hand side. Giant, giant room here, and had a beautiful fireplace. But you know, they said that that George did not like running the fireplace. He had central heating, so he didn't really need it. Oh, yeah, it was cool. just for aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a beautiful room. There were paintings on, in it. Several, uh, one of his mother, I believe, was a crop above yeah. front wall. We came out of that room back into the, the grand, you know, back into the, the foyer, went up the stairs, and at the top of the stairs, what was there? The pipes from the organ were still there. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually went up to the third floor. Yeah. Second floor was George's mom's bedroom. And you could tell that he gave her the best room in the in the house because it overlooked the gardens. The gardens here. Now, we went in a bad time. The yeah. first time I went, I can't remember what year, what time of year, but the gardens were not maintained. Now, they were working on them. It's almost like, you know, they, they do an amazing, amazing thing in spring. And then when summer hits, everything kind of dies out. They were just starting to change some of the irrigation, some of the watering, and they were just starting to clean some of the beds up, maybe for a fall planting. Maybe, or maybe they were just redoing them after a couple years. I'm not really know, sure, but... but George's mom's bedroom overlooked that. The, the The whole bedroom was large enough because she she was in a wheelchair. She'd broken her hip prior to moving in, and right? so she couldn't walk. Right, and but then, she was also suffering from um, what was what was it that she was suffering from? Um, can't remember what it was, and it's it's, it's a debilitating. Us- it's a spinal disease. I can't remember the exact name of it because I usually talk about that in my presentation. Um, she had that that you know spinal issue, and and George was very aware of all the the pain she went through, but the bedroom was was spacious enough that. She can get in. She can move around. And in this this bedroom, anybody could have spent the rest of their lives in. This is a it was an amazing room. And it, there were, were two twin beds in there, one for her, and then one for whomever her caregiver at the time was. Right. One of her granddaughters stayed frequently. Mm-hmm. It, it then went into a a bathroom, and the bathroom had a call button in case she she needed help. Beautiful tile bathroom. This this tub in this bathroom was really cool. And, you know, they had they had some of the medicines of the time. They had the medicine cabinet open. They had some of the old medicine bottles of the time. And even that, you know, the view from the bathroom window was, was just as spectacular over the gardens. Then it went into a closet. Well, the tub. Mm-hmm. We were looking at the tub. It was interesting. It was mm-hmm. very modern. Mm-hmm. Well, for the time. I'm not sure For the early that. 1900s. I guess. It wasn't just one of those stand, uh, you know, standing tubs with mm-hmm. the feet on it, and that they had to bring up water from the kitchen for. Oh yeah, it had, had plumbing they in had this plumbing. place for sure. And then we we exited the bathroom and we we got connected back to the hallway from uh, through the bathroom is uh, like a storage area, like a big walk-in closet. Yeah. And they had it adorned with some old, you know, with some with some uh, period correct clothing and some ha- and a bunch of hat boxes. <laughs> it's one of the things I would have loved to have asked a, a guy. It's like was was um was Mother Eastman was she in the to hats? And I'm guessing that answer is probably yes. Any any self respecting lady of the time probably would have a ton of hats and, and beautifully kept hat boxes. Yeah. 
across from that hall was kind of a little sitting area. You know, every place you went, don't sit on chairs, don't touch the furniture, please don't do anything. But this room across from uh, George's mother's room was made for sitting and, and kind of relaxing. All the chairs could be sat on. There was a nice little comfy couch. Christine was doing something. No, she was photographing the the third floor kind of window. And, well, I just sat there and was just enjoying myself. I don't really remember what that room was. I, the, the, the audio guide, I don't believe, said anything about it. Maybe it was his mother's sitting room. Since going up and down would have been difficult. Maybe. I'm not really sure. Um, and then across the hall from there was where his bedroom would have been, but it's not set up as his bedroom anymore. Well, the door was closed. I'm not really sure. I don't remember George's bedroom being open several years ago. The door was closed, and we we heard the tour. But we heard the 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 information about George's bedroom, and uh, and we'll talk a little bit about what happens later in life for George in that bedroom. Uh, beyond that is uh, is a stairwell going up to the third floor, a little stairwell on the side. And under that stairwell was a another perfectly hidden door, a panel. And that panel opened up to a giant safe. A double safe, basically. Double safe. And uh, I thought that was really cool that George had access to his safe like right then and there. Uh, it would have been cool if it was in his bedroom. Like in a hidden spot of his bedroom, but it wasn't. It was it was there, and um, it was just kind of cool. And they and they encourage you to touch the safe. I don't know if that's the original safe or not, but they encourage you to touch the safe. And here's the code. I can't remember what the code was. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't the same code that George used, but it'd been kind of interesting to know what code he did use if he even had a choice back then. But if you're paying all that money for a house and a safe and getting that safe installed, I'm pretty sure you can choose your own code. I would hope so. Uh, and then we go into the fun room. Yeah. The interactive rooms. There's a whole showcase of them. But um, the first part, you got to make cyanotypes. And there were places you could draw. I forget the name of the... What's the spinny... Oh, Fanetta Physionoscope or something. Yeah. And then there... I mean, there were just so many interactive things. There were cameras all around that you could pick up and touch and, you know, look through and from all all sorts of eras. There were books that you could sit down and read there. Um, they had uh, they had a hand coloring kind of state. It was really a coloring book station. Yeah. But. And uh, did they mention hand coloring? They didn't. I'm the one that yeah. took that step, but to me, that's what it kind of looked like to me. Right. I, I would love to see the George Eastman house put a little bit more into that. But the but the room was very nice. I'm guessing this might have been George's sitting room. I, I don't really know. Or, or live, you know, sitting sitting room, living room, whatever. But as Christine said, as soon as you get in there, there's um, they have sun prints, and it, which is as close to possible as, as cyanotypes for a, for, for an organization like them, they want to be able to have the sun print paper in a bag. You pull it out, put it, they have a couple things you can put on top of it, a, a, a feather, some wood cutouts. They've got a, a UV exposure light that you turn to five minutes, put your thing in there and they give you some, some acrylic 
uh, acrylic plates that you can kind of sandwich your stuff together. But it's the commercially made sunprint paper, which is fine. Uh, it, it would be really nice if they had somebody, you know, talking about sun prints. It's, it doesn't really go into saying who invented sun prints, what the, the significance of sun prints is, and, and something that, that Christine loves talking about. And I love when she talks about it. Uh, the first person that ever made a photo book is Miss Anna Atkins, a, a, a friend of Sir John Herschel. Right. And William and, and Constance Talbot. You know, they were all friends, and and that's really cool. That's really cool, especially to the young ladies that are coming in, that that a, a, a lady by the name of Anna, Anna Atkins made the first photo book. How cool, using this process. So I understand this room is, is meant to let kids just go and play and explore, and they had the, they had the, uh, the kinetoscope stuff, and and they had some some flip books that you can that they encouraged you to play with and and the and the coloring book section they even had um where you can draw your own uh kinetic kinetoscope uh frames yeah and it was really cool it was it's such a cool place but i i i feel that they can do a lot better there and may, maybe it's covid Maybe when I went several years ago, maybe it was just not the right day. But I would love to see somebody with the Eastman House maybe kindle the love of photography with kids and give them a good explanation of what a sunprint is instead of, here's sunprint paper, make a sunprint. This is how you do it. Yeah. Instructions on the wall. Right. Um once we got out of that, we went into my favorite room, and I'm, I'm glad they cleaned the glass because the next room is a walk-in camera, <laughs> camera obscura. It's a dark room. You've got, you've got like a, a heavy curtain that you go into, and there's a room where they have it all blacked out. They have one window in the middle, and they, have a, they had like a half-dollar-sized hole cut in, the, in, the, in the, the, the window covering. And you get in there, let your eyes... Let your eyes get acclimated to the darkness, and you see the world outside, both upside down and backwards. Yeah, it's really so cool. amazing, so cool. That is one of the favorite things I love doing when I can, when I'm teaching and or giving a workshop at a at a location that allows it. Being able to make a camera obscura, and that is the best way to teach the 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 physics of a camera. And how a camera works. Plain and simple. Done. Uh, once we get into that, we kind of went the wrong way. We had to go past a couple exhibits and then come back. But they had a beautiful exhibit on wet plate photography, dry plate photography, daguerreotypes. Uh, they had, um, you know, they had the one of the, the early daguerreotype cameras in there. That there were portable camera obscuras. There were portable camera obscuras and... Uh, you know the the portable you know where where there's a there's a frosted piece of glass in the back and an artist can put a piece of paper there and trace it and then of course that's what you know Louis Daguerre would would eventually use but beautiful exhibits of of cameras there once we went into the hallway they had a lot of Kodak memorabilia they had some patents for Kodak's roll film they had some box samples they had a lot of great stuff up there and then when you walk back they had actually playing 
outside the uh, the conservat the conservators' offices, they had a silent film of one of George. I think it was George Eastman's first movie. Yeah, it was the first home videos. And of course, they had to put a thing on the wall saying that the video is silent, <laughs> just in case people didn't know. But again, it would be really nice to have somebody interpreting that video, or or put some video on front on in the beginning of that video talking about what George would have used when this video would have happened and, and what he went through. How did you, how did you record this video? Maybe, maybe have a, a, in a case, a, one of the video cameras that he would have used and, and, and the film that he would have had to spool on that, in that camera to take that, that home movie. Um, and then, and then that was it. That was it for the, for the, uh, for the house part of the tour, um, as we talked about, there is there's a very, you know, very sad story to George Eastman's uh, very very sad end to George Eastman, unfortunately. And in his bedroom, he met with the um, the the other executives in Kodak, and he realized that he was starting to have a lot of the diseases, the the, the spinal difficulties, just as he, just as his mother had. And um, from from what I'd heard, that he he wasn't very uh, active in his own company anymore. And uh, on uh, March fourteenth, nineteen thirty-two, he he called a, a meeting. He asked to be excused, and then he he wrote a uh, he wrote a note that his uh, his work was done. Why wait? And when they left his bedroom, they heard a single gunshot, and George Eastman had, had committed suicide. Suicide. Very sad. Very sad end, but uh, George Eastman, you know, in his in his life, he would donate more than a hundred million dollars to um, to a lot of places in Rochester, Cambridge, Massachusetts, MIT, um, historically black colleges in the South, and some European cities as well. They say that a um, hundred million dollars in nineteen thirty two is equivalent to two billion dollars today. That's amazing. He uh, he had a lot of um, he he put a lot to the Rochester. He found the Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra. He uh, sent a lot of a lot of money to the University of Rochester, Eastman School of Music, and a lot of dental dental practices and dental uh, colleges in the in the area as well. Uh, the guy, you know. Uh, his his generosity is still helping people today, and that's amazing. That's an amazing way to uh, to leave your fortune. Yeah. Um, and and I I can't imagine, you know what what he had gone through to make that decision in nineteen thirty two, but you know you can't take it with you. Pretty wild. Pretty wild. And it's it's always a sad part, you know, talking about it. And um, sadly, and, you know, George uh, George built that house with his mother in mind. And she only had gotten to live there for two years before she had passed. Right. Pretty tough. Pretty tough stuff. Uh, but... Um, they they think it's uh they think it's was it's a degenerative disease of the disc, 
And um, they think today it was called lumbar spinal stenosis. And it's caused by calcification of the vertebrae. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sad stuff. Yeah. But uh, it's amazing that I believe the house was, uh, the house was, somebody bought the house. I can't remember what it was. Somebody had bought the house and they had, they had, uh, they had sold it back and uh, and made the museum out of it which is amazing today. Wasn't it donated to the University of Rochester who Was then it? donated it back? Okay. I and could be wrong. Donated back to the foundation that 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 holds it today. When we went out, we we walked the gardens a little bit. Walked around as much as we could. It was a it was a little bit of a warm day that day. And again, it was it was not very upkept. There were a lot of uh, a lot of hoses around, and they even had notes on the door. You know, be be careful around you know around the the equipment, the machinery. Walked back and got some, got ourselves some lunch. They have a nice cafe there. Very fancy. The <laughs> cafe there is called Open Face. Um, mostly sandwiches. There are soup offerings. Sp- Specials that seem to change frequently. I'm going to say hoity-toity out of a lack of a better word, but the hoity-toityest sandwiches you would ever get. I think I had a turkey sandwich, and it was like it was it was very fancy. I mean, you feel artistic eating it. <laughs> but the problem is, is sometimes you 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 see something made that's made for art. Or for flavor. And I think it was too many ingredients on, on the sandwich. It was good. I just thought it was a little bit too complex. Maybe for my uh, for my um, hillbilly upbringing, I guess. And then the, the drinks were, were very fancy. It was... Um, I didn't... I liked it. I liked it a lot. And the prices weren't that bad. But I guess... I guess you get a little taste of royalty there. You get a little taste of of two billion dollars when you're eating at the cafe there. So you know what? I can't I can't knock it because I get it. I mean, you don't want to just have a, a hamburger or a hot dog while walking around this this illustrious, beautiful house. Well, of course you couldn't take the drink food or drink anywhere, but you're still there in the moment. The more I think about it, the more I think it's a nice touch. I mean, I enjoyed the food. It was different, although there were a lot of flavors in everything. It was a flavor Chuck Norris dropkick to the mouth. <laughs> I mean, it was very good. It just was a lot more than I'm used to. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like deconstructed turkey sandwich inlay. It was really wild. And I recommend it highly. I recommend it highly. If you go to the George Eastman house, definitely check out the 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 place there it was good yeah it was just a little fancier than than we were, were used to once that was done what did we do we went we out went- to the other way which has a lot of um permanent and temporary exhibits we went through the temporary exhibits very fascinating stuff and and these exhibits they encourage photography <clears throat> uh they do have rotating they did have a rotating temporary exhibit on flood flooding in the Everglades. And uh, and a lot of the work I liked, but a lot of the work I, I wasn't a fan of. But that's the good thing about art. You don't have to like everything. 
But you know what? This this lady's art is hanging in the George Eastman Museum, and mine isn't. So what do I know? <laughs> uh, my favorite part of the whole place, though, is a wall of all sorts of panacolor pigments, pigments used in the making of color motion picture film. And it is a, what would you say? It's 10 feet wide by 12 feet tall at least? Something like that. It's a lot of different colors. And I could have spent an uh, hours there with my macro lens and just... Just photographing. Photographed. Amazing stuff. And, and that... <laughs> And I remember going. I remember coming in that way, and there being people at the desk there, but there was nobody there. It almost was like the lights were turned down. Like, like I really thought to myself, "Am I allowed to be back here?" But the lights were turned down. We walked through that. We walked through. Um, we walked through the exhibits, and it's always refreshing. And and that's one of the things I always tell, you know, not only beginner photographers but but professionals as well that and everything in between that you need to look at art you need to look at photography because you don't copy even though um you know the 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 old quote good artists uh what was it good artists fake great artists i can't remember but it's something like great artists steal uh, it's not that i'm gonna steal anything any ideas there but it definitely gives you some some thoughts on you know, kind of make sure it kind of gets the brain juices flowing. Yeah. And I saw one. It was the, I can't remember who the artist was. I did take a photo of it. I can't remember who the artist was, but it was all a bunch of little little mini Polaroids. Like Christine, she's got that new mini Polaroid camera. But it was like, it was like a, a Polaroid shot of an arm, two shots of a of a torso, head down to stomach, and then the other arm. So it's kind of like a. I don't know if it's PC to say Siamese twin anymore. Conjoined twin. I don't know what the what the proper terminology is now. But it was kind of like an conjoined twin. But it was like that over and over again on these Polaroids, placed in like this acrylic holder. And I thought that was cool. And I and I talked I talked to Christine and I I told her that a lot of photography instructors back in the film days would actually encourage someone to photograph on a roll of film so that when you make a contact print all the frames line up to make something. And it's a really interesting photographic uh, uh, assignment. And that's what that reminded me of. And uh, with Christine and her Polaroid, and also now with the Fomimo, whatever it is, thermal printer, that's really pretty cool. Yeah. Really cool. Uh, they also have a, they had a movie there, which I which I loved, and it was how uh, Kodak... Uh, excuse me, how the Eastman Museum photographs a, you know, sets up and photographs a piece from their collection. And it was a, and it was an old photographic roll film box, the the film, the aluminum canister that used to come in that, and then the box that that came in. And they, they talked about, you know, cleaning it up, fixing it, um, you know, building a box that goes in the box so that the box never sags. I mean, just conservation efforts, and then photographing it, and then putting it in the exhibit, and then you can walk in the room behind that TV and see that little roll of film right there. They had uh, they had a whole bunch of different cameras in there. They had some speed graphics. They had they have Leicas in there. I think there were I can't a remember couple what the of other Leicas. brand was in there. A bunch of Kodak cameras. 
including some, you know, Kodak digital cameras, which is which is always saddens me because, you know, Kodak engineers, uh, what's his name, Sasson, Sasson, um, he came up with a a digital camera for Kodak. He was a technician for Kodak. And Kodak really didn't want to pursue the digital market because it could eat into their film photography sales. But now, you know, Kodak could have been a, a Nikon or could have been a Canon. You know, it could have been, you know, one of the big players in digital photography had they gotten a little bit of a jump on that. So definitely kind of sad. Kind of a sad story of Kodak and George Eastman. But you can't be that sad. As I said, you know, $100 million in, in several different projects in, in, the, uh, in the town and nearby states and, and like I said, even in the South and in, in Europe. But that room is, is really cool. And of course, we exited. We exited through the gift shop. Of course, we had to look. Christine exited through the gift shop. We bought these gray hats, baseball caps that say eighteen percent gray. I think they're too dark. I though. think they're too dark for eighteen percent gray. But I, I wanna... love the concept. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get the color checker from downstairs, and I need to, to test it, and um, that way I can complain. <laughs> We, we met up with a friend at, uh, at the Wet Plate Jamboree, and he said that uh, several years back he bought an 18% gray shirt, and it was nowhere near 18% gray. So I don't know. We'll test. We'll see if they've learned their lesson with these, with these ball caps. Uh, I think what, did we, what else did we buy? Christine bought some, some nice um, note cards that were. They did have something of Anna Atkins in the, in the, the museum. I think they had one of her books. I can't remember what the name is off the top of my head. Well, not one of her books, but it was a book that was kind of based around her, a children's book based around Anna Atkins's life and what she had contributed. Yeah. Uh, I think you got a you got a flip book from with uh, with a scene from uh, Edward Mybridge. Yes, um, the film loop. Christine, Christine found these little bows that you can put on packages, and it is, it looks like a. It's a it's a piece of thirty five millimeter film that's kind of fashioned in a bow, and I had walked out and I was watching the I was watching the original movie that was in the in the main hall, and Christine came out and said that that is what is it what it was it the person who rung me up said that it was film from the archives. I get, but it was positive. So here's the thing, you know, when you when you make an image, when you make a a movie, it's still a negative, and then you've got a you've got a contact it together with another piece of negative film and make a positive from so these are positives and this is stuff that that they either had extra of or 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 didn't use they're not going to give you actual film from the archives but these are positives somehow that kodak didn't want anymore yeah really interesting and then I got a magnet for our refrigerator. And of course, we have a magnet for the refrigerator because the refrigerator just doesn't look good by itself in the kitchen. We have to have a magnet from every place we go to. Not every place, but it had it. The magnet has the chemicals from the color wall. So <laughs> every place, but that not was a really nice place. time. It was a nice time. We had a good time there, and you know, we spent practically all day. We were there most of the day. I really wish the gardens were. We'll have to go back in the spring. We'll have to kind of get a, a schedule for when, when you know, the, the main gardens are in bloom and we need to make another trip back up there. Rochester as a city was very nice. Uh, we did uh, we did hit a couple businesses that 
uh, we 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 spoke to one business owner that said uh, that that uh, Rochester's become a very lack of a better term deadly deadly city, and uh, and that's just sad. Such a such a beautiful city, and the way it's laid out is gorgeous, and and the the hometown urban feel in a city is just amazing. But they have that they have a crime problem. They have a pretty bad crime problem up there. But we, you know, the getting to the Eastman house from the south, we we saw nothing out of the ordinary, nothing that made us feel bad. The Eastman Museum itself has a nice parking lot. You know, you're not parking on a city street or trying to take mass transit or anything. It's easy to get to. You feel safe getting there. You feel safe getting out. And you don't feel like your car is going to get broken into. Right. So at least that part of the town is very, very nice. And we had a lot of we had a lot of expensive stuff in the car because we were taking you know, going to the going to the jamboree and the the gathering of wet plate photographers, which we'll talk about next week. We had so much stuff, like all of our media stuff, video cameras, still cameras, microphones, drone, two new three, one new three sixty camera, and the old three sixty camera. And not once did we worry about anything. No. We were real lucky. Well, I don't know if we were lucky or if it's just that nice of an area. But we were real lucky the whole trip that, you know, you you have to, you know, you have to trust your, your life to, you know, a, a, a car window. Yeah. And, you know, we, we definitely covered things up. And we have those little window doodads that, that pop in the window for when we stealth camp. And we put those up. Not a problem. No problem whatsoever. It was a good time. It was a very good time. Yeah. And that was our trip to George Eastman House. George Eastman Museum. George Eastman House Museum. I don't know what I don't know what it's called anymore. <laughs> Definitely recommend it if you if you like any kind of photography. Try to make uh, the pilgrimage to Rochester, New York for the George Eastman Museum some point in your life. I just wish that they they had a couple more things out. I mean, their archives are massive. Absolutely massive. And I know you can't put new stuff out every time, but I'd like when when the thing ends. Ooh, I bet that was heard on the podcast. That was a big <laughs> thunder thunder boomer. I just hope that when the thing is finally behind us, they put a little bit more effort into teaching. Now I know, look. I know that the George Eastman House has workshops, and I don't even think they're in person yet. No, I don't think so. But you can take workshops on several different processes. Um, I'm not sure what the new guy's name is. I know the uh, the old um, instructor there was Mark Osterman, and he did a very good job at uh, at all of uh, all of the workshops there. And you don't need to give a workshop, but it would be really cool if you had a somebody that worked for the museum that was sitting in the sunroom area and just talking. We were sitting there making our own. We, we each made a sun print. You're not going to go to the George Eastman Museum and not make something photographic there to bring back. And that was free, which is great. But a big family came in and they were like, oh, what is a sun print? And of course, you know, Christine, Christine kicks into uh, instructor mode. And she gives them probably more information that they ever wanted, <laughs> but talking about that, and then um, and then one of the kids went into the room. It's like, oh, the room in there doesn't have any lights. And I explained camera obscura. If they had somebody in there 
teaching that. I feel that there is a big disconnect with guests in that creativity room and in the camera obscura. I think they can do a better job at that. And I think they can do a better job at having just pop-up stuff. Or have somebody with the conservancy and sit there. You don't need to do it all day, but sit there and tell me when I come in, hey, by the way, at the on the second floor hallway, all the way at the end, where it talks about um the the what was it, study hall, Eastman study hall or whatever it was, at three o'clock we're going to have somebody show off and demonstrate the camera that George Eastman took his first movie with. Or at every two hours in the creativity room, we're going to have someone give a, a quick talk on cyanotypes. Or at least have someone occasionally available to ask questions. The audio tour was really nice. Well, I'm talking but... two different things. Absolutely. I would love to have docents walking around the, muse the house. And they, they did. They used to have tour guides. You can ask them questions. Great resource. Very knowledgeable people. They need to have that back. But I'm talking about more in the in the touchy-feely area, in the hands-on area, or, you know, have somebody have somebody walking around because you had you had several different ex specimens of things. You had a a calotype negative and a calotype positive on the wall behind a piece of velvet that you had to lift up. 99.999% of people that lifted that velvet up don't know what in the heck a calotype is. There's a disconnect where I think they can do a better job as far as have some more hands-on people. You can teach, you can talk 10-minute lecture on cyanotypes. And then, hey, by the way, we have a kids' workshop series, blah, 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 and the so-and-so and so-and-so. And then, and then if people want to know more, they can take a workshop there. But right now, it's, it feels the way it did several years ago. And before the thing, they had the same problem. I think George Eastman House would be so much better if they had a little bit more of that. And not for me. I'm not doing it selfishly for me. I'm talking about knowing, knowing people and their knowledge of photography when I speak to them and I have the, the good fortune to speak to them, I know that they need a little bit more help, a little bit more hand-holding, a little bit more guidance. We go in there and we know what every piece of equipment does and what it's for. Those people don't. And that interactive room, like people wouldn't have known to spin the stuff and get on eye level to see it look like it was moving. I mean, we knew that. Yeah. But everyone else who went in there made a cyanotype and that's it because they didn't understand what the other things were. That's true. And there was no explanations for it either. And I love that they have cameras sitting out. But I, I saw it over and over again. Kids come in, they look through, they pick up a camera, look through it, pick up a camera, look through it. Um, there was a TLR. There was a little girl with a TLR, and she's like, "How does this camera work?" And I had to say, "Okay, flip up, you know, flip up the top." And she looks through it with the lens pointing up. It's like, "No, you got to hold it by your belly, and look down." Oh, that's cool. That's what you need. Yeah, you need someone there to help people understand yeah. what they're looking at. Absolutely, so simple. You can have a volunteer. You can have a a a a. Somebody that just starts at the museum, you teach them a little bit, enough to be able to explain some. 
This is a cyanotype invented in 1942 by, excuse me, 1842 by Sir John Herschel, a polymath that came up with it to make copies of his notes. There are two chemicals, potassium ferrocyanide green and uh, potassium ferrocyanide and ferrocomonium citrate green. You mix them together, expose them to UV light. Do you see how everything the sun touches is, is darkened and everything the sun didn't touch is, is not? That's what's called a negative. You know, it's, it's so simple and it would take no effort whatsoever. And the, the amount of knowledge that those kids would, would gain. Okay, they see, they see a photographic museum and then they see an art project. They don't know how to tie the two together. Right. Why is the kinetoscope so, so important? Why, why is that stuff important? Why is there a flip book of Edward Mybridge there? Who the heck is Mybridge? <laughs> exactly. Talk a little bit about him. You have other photographers. You have other pro You have sun prints for, for Pete's sake. Talk about Mybridge. Talk about, you have, you have a calotype. Talk about the calotype process. William Henry Fox Talbot. Easy. You have a daguerreotype. Talk about the daguerreotype. Talk about... Louis Daguerre and Talbot's head button from England over to France. There is so much more that can be done that I think would make that place that's already special. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I love the place. Any chance I get, I want to go. But I just think there's a little bit more, a little bit of an edge. They can, they can file off of their, their customer's knowledge and getting them and getting your visitor's knowledge from this is a place of photography. Here's a playroom. Why do those things matter together? Very important. What, I think that's how they can fix it. What does that stuff mean? Exactly. And exactly. it teaches the history even better than... Yep. Love, love, love the George Eastman Museum. But, you know, just like any place, you have a couple little, little, little things you'd like to see improved. Yeah. Yeah. But I think they can do it. I think it would make George Eastman proud. Going back to the roots... You, you talk a little bit about, um, they didn't even really talk much about George, you know, with making making plates in his mother's kitchen. Yeah. Why, you know, where's an example of some of the formulas that George had used that, that really got him started? I don't believe they even, they didn't even talk about the Rochester Savings Bank in that main video. You know, that's an important story. That's a very interesting story. If it wasn't for him getting passed up on that promotion, that place might not exist. Absolutely. And that's Fun. the history. <laughs> and that is the history. And, Christine, I'm afraid we're out of time. We are. We are. Well, I, th I appreciate you guys. Uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on the, the Eastman House Museum? Have you been? Have you been wanting to go? Let me know what you think in the comments. You can connect with us on uh, our Facebook group, Under a Red Glow, or through email at podcast at underredglow.com. And as always, your comments just might make it to a future episode. Man, she's on top. As always, big thank you to whoever for continuing to join us. All the love and support we received from people liking us on Facebook, subscribing and rating us on your podcast platform of choice. And also a big thank you to our Patreon subscription supporters. We're starting it for just a buck you can get our shows early with our supporters only after show. All of that ads. See the show notes in the description for that link to our Patreon. Also, be sure to check out our other supporter tiers, which are geared towards bringing you along on our photography projects with great rewards. 
All of our links can be found in our show notes and also on www.underredglow.com. And now with episode 106 down, it's been an absolute pleasure spending this time with you. Please be sure to subscribe to Under Red Glow. And if we earned your recommendation to any of their photographers of any skill level or process, we would certainly appreciate you sharing us with them. A big thank you to my co-host, Christine Milliker, and of course, everyone for listening. If you're listening on Patreon or our supporter page, stay tuned for the after show. Thanks for tuning in. We look forward to using you next time. That was very professional. <laughs>